Hey, you're listening to the Time and Talks podcast. I'm your host, Dejal V. Patel, and this is the place where we have refreshingly real talks about the biggest problems moms face in motherhood and life and the spiritual solutions to solve them. If you're ready to reset your mindset with some major truth bombs, well then, let's dive in. What exactly do we want for our kids? Is something that I've definitely asked myself countless times, and as a parent, I'm pretty sure you have too. What it boils down to is that we want our kids to be happy. But there is an important question that we rarely ask ourselves. What is our long-term goal of parenting? Ultimately, we want to have a good relationship with our children. And as we know, whether it's marriage, friendship, relationship with our parents or siblings, communication is the key to a healthy relationship. And that's what we're dishing about today. How to communicate more effectively with your kids so there are less power struggles, arguments, and disconnection. In order for our kids to be happy, they have to feel good about themselves. And we nurture that through the way we speak to them, the way we support them when they make a mistake, and how we handle conflicts with them. To have children who openly share their problems and respect us enough to share their feelings, we have to communicate with trust and respect first. Today I sit with author Roma Ketherpal, who's going to dive into simple, effective, science-supported communication tools that help you use your inner perfection to connect with your children on a deeper level. Roma is the author of The Perfect Parent, five tools for using your inner perfection to connect with your kids, and the founder and CEO of Tools of Growth, through which she helps parents raise kids to be happy, think positive, and do good. Through her book, parenting classes, community outreach, educational workshops, and the Tools of Growth blog, Roma provides parents and other caregivers with simple, easy to remember and effective communication tools that help them build a strong foundation and relationship with their children. Without further ado, let's welcome Roma to the show who's going to help us press the reset button on poor communication with our kids. Thank you so, so much, Roma, for being here on the Time and Talks podcast. I am so looking forward to our deep dive today. I'm so excited to be here, Tejal. Thank you so much. You do a great job, by the way, out there. I'm so proud of you. And this is what moms need is a variety of guidance and tools from all different directions. And I I have to say, you pick your resources very well. So great job for the work that you're doing as well. It's an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Roma. That really means a lot. Uh, coming from you. So we always start the podcast, Romo, with a icebreaker question. And there's something that I find so fascinating about you. And I know I've talked to you about. Romo, can you tell everyone where you were born and raised? Yes, of course. So I was born and raised in Kuwait in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And um, my parents moved to Kuwait when my dad, when he was 18 for work, and then married my mom from New Delhi and brought her back uh, to Kuwait. We were all born and raised there. And then I moved here after I got married when I was 20 years old. When I reached out to you to do this podcast, you were actually visiting Kuwait after, was that your first time going back, right? Since you moved away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was the first time. So I went back after 34 years. And um, share with us, what is like one of the biggest things that you were surprised that was either the same or different or just like your experience of being back there after so many years? So I think that my biggest surprise was my own reaction to my own physical reaction to being there. I had 
sort of shunned it off as it's uh, it's a little piggyback trip after a big family wedding. We'll stop by. I haven't been there in 34 years. It'll be fun. I really didn't give it much thought or leverage. Uh, but when I landed there and the first five or six hours there, the surge of uh, sensory memory that surfaced within my body was unreal. I have never experienced anything like that. And I, I've been around the block a little bit. So, you know, just that, that experience of the smells, the sounds, the tastes. Uh, I could, for example, I literally walking out of the airport, I could taste shawarma. Now, mm. mind you, I've been a vegetarian for eight years. So where that came from, I have no idea. Um, and then, of course, uh, the smells, the sound of the ocean, uh, as I walked uh, to the ocean and just uh, how the air felt. And I, I could taste the salt, which is very different than it is here in the ocean. So it was just very interesting to uh, self-reflect and to observe within my body the changes that were going on and how I felt just being in the place. I, I call it my fatherland because that's where I was. Mm. That's where I was born. India, of course, motherland, uh, the origins and the roots. But uh, Kuwait, uh, definitely, you know, definitely where I was born and raised. And I was completely surprised uh, I talk about this even in my book about uh, sensory expressions mm-hmm. and impressions, but to actually feel that surge within my body was amazing. That is fascinating. You are the very first person that I've ever met that lived in Kuwait. So I thought that was just so amazing. And I wanted you to share that with our guests so that they know a little bit more about where you're from. And now you are, you've been living in Southern California for countless years. You have two beautiful children who are raised. So most of um, most of the moms that listen to this podcast, we have children who are younger. So when I came upon your book, The Perfect Parent, the first thing was, and I don't even remember how I came in contact, but I know I found you on Instagram. And then I saw that you have this book and your title completely just called me. So I bought your book and um, in the end of August, I went to a trip on Cabo, completely devoured your book. And I reached out to you because I knew that I needed to have you on the podcast. And so the book that you have is The Perfect Parent, which you share five tools for using your inner perfection um, to connect with your kids. And so this book is all about finding um, a better effective way to communicate with your kids, which is so important and so imperative. And the first question that I want to ask you is your title, The Perfect Parent. What does that mean to you? I truly believe that everything that we do is for ourselves first. So I think that I wrote this book for myself. And that begins right with the title. Um, I was that parent when I was, you know, when I had young kids where I had this mad chase to perfection. Mm-hmm. I needed to get it all done. I was going to do it all right. Um, I know how to do this. You know, I can rely on myself. Plus, I have a lot of tools from my parents, family, what have you. And um, I just need to get this right. That was the focus. And I think over the years, I realized that. There is no such thing as trying to get it right, trying to be perfect in every way, because you are going to make mistakes. And thinking about what parenting is all about and how our children end up with us in our arms, that there is a natural order of perfection in that that cannot be orchestrated. So this whole outward ideology is exhausting and trying to do it right and getting it all right and getting it all done because that's never going to happen. 
in its completion in the way we think about it mentally, intellectually. Um, but if we embrace the natural order of perfection and know that we are the perfect parent for our children, our children came to us by a design that's so much beyond our own making. And for us to be paired perfectly with these children in a natural order, that's what makes us perfect in this relationship is this match. So we are all the perfect parents for our children. Because truly today, if I were to line up a bunch of children and said, you know, Tejal, I know you've had it with your two, pick a different one. You know, what would you do? You would still pick your own, right? Absolutely. And vice versa. And vice versa, if we gave our children choices of, you know, pick a different parent, they would still pick us. There's something very natural and innate. So that's one per portion of the perfection. The other part of it is the growth factor. Each one of us is paired with a child to facilitate our own growth. So that's, you know, the underlying most important part, I think. we For those of us that have two children will know that one will follow us perfectly. They will march to our drumbeat. And then the other one is going to have their own rhythm, their own beat. They're going to challenge us. And that child that challenges us, and again, this just doesn't hold true just for those that have two children. If you have one child, they have certain personality traits that completely synchronize with you and you can relate to them. But then there are other personality traits that challenge you. And it's the challenges that present themselves in the perfection of this relationship that allow us to grow. So that there is another, you know, uh, meeting point, if you will, for um, this parental perfection that we're constantly looking for. So really embracing that inner perfection that we have to connect with our kids is the only perfection that we need to shoot for. From listening to that, what you and when I was reading in the book, what the big aha that I got is, is that it's not only the strengths that guide our child to us, but it's also our weaknesses, like you said, the growth, what they're trying to model and to hold space for us to grow. So it's not only our strengths, but our weaknesses that make us that perfect match. And I want to share this with you because I just had this conversation with a mom yesterday, and I think you'd appreciate it. So as you know, on the podcast, I have certain episodes where my four year, four and a half year old son joins along, and he's very articulate. You know, he likes to be on front of the camera. He likes to be on the micro, like be on the microphone, do podcasts, and it comes very naturally to him. And this mom asked me, he has children who are a little bit younger, two and a half, three, and she's like, what did you do to like allow him to, to, to be like that? Is there something that I could do to nurture that in my child? And that kind of clicked in me. I was like, you know, I think he probably chose me, chose me as a mom because I'm already kind of putting myself out there like that. So it was easier for him to express himself like that because that's what his soul came here to do. And that's not because of anything that I taught him. This is all his natural gift. So I think that was like a beautiful way of just saying like, they pick us based off of what, how we show up and how we can help them, help guide them into come unfolding into their greatest being too. Right. I completely agree with you. And I think if we embrace, um, to add to what you said beautifully, if we embrace the perfection that is in this relationship, then we embrace it all. 
And when we embrace every part of our child, their likes, their dislikes, their quirks, their, you know, strengths, their weaknesses, uh, their shyness, their exuberance, if we, if we embrace all of it, then we truly can make that a platform for growth for them because you can only grow when you're happy and you're thriving, mm-hmm. right? Because our constant effort with our children is to make them a certain way, to guide them. We call it, I'm teaching them, I'm guiding them. Yes. But truly, this is a teach and learn relationship both ways. Right. You know, as we are teaching them, we are learning from them. If you think about you know, at least for me personally, like I never thought I could go through like 14 hours, uh, 24 hours of no sleep. Mm -hmm. And when you have those children, you realize like, wow, I've actually gone through, you know, 19 hours of no sleep, two hours of sleep, and then I'm going another seven hours. And I've done this for a whole week. Right. And I still love this little being in my arms. To Mm -hmm. me, that was such an epiphany that Mm -hmm. I have that much potential. But that much potential was introduced to me by this child. So when we make this connection with our children, they introduce ourselves to our own higher potential, to what our capacity is. They make us more compassionate, more kind, more patient, more loving, more unconditional. They extract these resources that we already have within us, this inner perfection that exists between us, within us. And when they extract it, there's an aha moment there, as you said, with your son, where you thought, wow, I can do this. And he loves it. Mm-hmm. This aligns with who he is. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that it works both ways, that giving that space for growth for children uh, is such an important part. And honestly, there's nothing to do. You know, if you just be yourself and tap into your higher self, your inner perfection, your goodness, the natural goodness that we are all born with, if we stay as close to that as possible, then there's really very little to teach the kids if we function from there. Mm, that's powerful. I really, I really resonate with that. And I think that also, you know, with the the relationship with your child, one of the things that like, you know, when you're talking about, like, we want to teach our children, or we're trying to always guide them, it's actually recognizing also they're in their inner perfection as well. Mm-hmm. Right? As, as, yes. you know, as we are in our inner perfection, they are already in their inner perfection, there is nothing that needs to be added or enhanced, or they need to achieve something to, 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 to have that they are already born with that perfection, which we already innately f- experience, right, when we're holding the perfection of a little child. Like we know that. So there is no like, yeah. So it's like, there is no chipping away or anything. Just allow them to flourish. um, They are the purest, most untainted, pure, Mm -hmm. untainted, right? Uh, We have all these masks that we have worn through our experiences. We have all these layers that we've added on. But children, they come in their purest goodness. They come in their purest form. That's why they can they can fight and a second later be okay. For us, no. If we have a disagreement, <laughs> we're, we're going to brew. We're going to start about this. You know, what am I going to say next? I want to get this right opportunity. And she didn't look at me properly since that last time that I said this to her. And we get into all this madness. Children don't have this. This is the purity of who they are. They're already connected to their inner perfection very clearly. They're clear about that. It's the life experiences 
And those life experiences, first and foremost, come from the parental experience, the parental connection. And that's why I say, you know, your home is a place of sanctity, not just for you, but more so for your child and your family, how you interact with each other, what the what the air feels like. Mm-hmm. That vibe, that energy of what the air in the home feels like, what they're going to breathe in and out, that is what we bring to our children. And that can either sustain them or, you know, cause damage. Cause damage, right. And I think one of the biggest things, right, we desire you you raised a very important question in the book is that we always think about what is it that we desire for a child you know when you're you're a parent it's innate that you have to be selfless and you're thinking about the best interest of your child and we know that if you ask any parent the number one thing on their list of when you ask what is it that you desire for your child it is we want them to be happy but you pose a very important question that we rarely ask ourselves, and it is, what do we want in the long term from parenting? And you dissect that when when we come down to it, what we truly desire is to have a good relationship with our children. And that all stems from having healthy communication. And that's what the crux of your book is, is to help us create tools in our life that allows us to have respectful, trustful communication. So in your um, own words, what does good communication or how to how do we develop these patterns of good communication with our children? So if you look at the base word um, communication, right? If you look at the base word there, commune means mm-hmm. to come together to come to a common platform, to have that dialogue with each other, doesn't necessarily mean to agree on everything. Because as parents, we are guiding our children. We do have to draw boundaries and guidelines. And these are healthy for children to understand because we have to prep them, prepare them for the outer world. That being said, when we make this commitment to commune, when we make this commitment to share a space, to have a conversation, a dialogue, to make the space comfortable enough, that's when we become effective communicators. Most people say, you know, I'm a really good communicator. I gave the instructions. I, I gave the instructions very clearly. I laid them all down. These are the things that I said. And a lot of parents say this to me, but that really is communication is about coming together. It's about communing. It's about two people. It's not about how effective one person is in expressing their thoughts and emotions. It's about how the other person's going to get it. Mm -hmm. And as, as a unit, you know, between parent and child, we are paired as such that they are going to learn differently than we are teaching and Mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. So if they're going to learn differently than how our teaching method is. There's always one or half a child of one like that. (laughs) Uh, Then (laughs) then we have to rework this. We have to rework how we teach. And simply, you know, the tools are all based around that. So you really hit everything on the head here. You know, when I ask this question about what do you want for your children? Every, I mean, I get thousands of answers in my parenting talks and events and forums. But when I say, what do you want out of parenting? There's complete silence, right? Complete silence. And what's even more interesting is that 90% of the time, the answer is, I want my child to be happy. 
And I go back to, no, I'm not asking about what you want for your child. I'm asking, what do you want for you? But what, what I want from me is for my child to be happy. Mm. Because we've integrated our, our existence as such. And in that integration of existence, uh, we actually start to exert authority. Because that's the ride in parenting. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. Wow. Yep. So breaking that down, like, no, you are separate. Right. You are in separate human existence forms, in form, in body. You are separate. So if you are separate, then tell me, what do you want within yourself, in your inner communication landscape? Ask yourself, what do you want for yourself? And that's when the room goes silent. Mm. and and you know once in a while I will get somebody that'll say um I want to be connected to them I want to have a good relationship with them and that's the key because when all is said and done if your child ends up at an Ivy League school or is the president of the United States and doesn't speak to you you're going to be drowning in guilt yeah with what did I do wrong right Absolutely. We want we want our children when they grow up to actually want to spend time with us, right? We want them to be able to to have teens and tweens who feel comfortable sharing their feelings with us, you know, and feeling that we're going to respect them and support them and we're not going to always going to agree with them, but they still feel comfortable. But these are the things that it doesn't start when they're tweens and teens. It's the the framework that we're starting in childhood and in their youth that really helps them feel that trust and build that trust. And we really have to earn the respect. I truly believe, like I remember saying this to my mom as a teenager, and sometimes it makes me cringe, but it was the truth. I, I could have definitely delivered it better. It was a teenage way of delivering it. But I used to always say to my mom, and I, I carry this with me as a parent, is that mom, if you want me to respect you, you have to also respect me. You have, you know, respect as a parent is earned. It's not just given because you take care of me or you, you know, you pay for my school. It's not these things. It's like we have to be respectful to each other and um, the way we communicate. It is all stems from that. And I could be very honest. I had a very difficult way of communicating. Like my parents and I, mainly my mom and I, struggled with the way that we communicated. I'm very open with that. That's par partially the reason why we had so many difficulties in my childhood and my teenage years. And I really carried this feeling of disconnection and lack of trust into my 20s and early 30s. And I think that it, it really manifested again when I had children of recognizing, whoa, I have some communication barriers and I need to work on the way that I communicate. And our children, like my son, like you, I was laughing when you said it is because he is my number one, like, you know, puts me in my place. And he's like, uh-uh, like that's not going to work. That's your old pattern with your mom is not going to work with me. Like you're shutting down or like, you know, like it's not going to work. It's so funny because a lot of times when I get overwhelmed, I shut down. And he'll come up to me straight up and be like, mommy, why aren't you talking? Don't ignore me. I asked you a question. And it's like, oh, he's like eliciting it out of me. I'm like, I oh my gosh, you. he's making me talk. So it's so funny when you say that. <laughs> They're our biggest teachers right in front of us. We really don't need to go outside to learn anything about ourselves. We can learn everything about ourselves from our children. They mirror back to us where we need to grow. Absolutely. But you have to commit to listen. You have to commit to... Um, to commune with them 
when they're saying something, you have to open up and offer that presence just as you expect them to offer to you. And first of all, kudos to you for even admitting that uh, with the relationship with your mom and your parents. And it's not their fault. A lot of parents come to me, whether it's in my parenting sessions or even in, in the consultations, and they'll just dump everything on their upbringing and their parents. And they did this to me. And my mom did this and my dad did that. But, you know, they're really bringing to the plate what they knew based on evolution of mankind at that time. Yes. So, you know, those were the days where uh, parents were the authorities, if you will. Everything was an authoritarian mindset. They didn't know any better. They were raised like that and they complied. So they expected that they would raise you like that and you would comply. And then came this evolution that we've, we haven't seen this ever before, this speed of evolution of the mind. Mm-hmm. Think about, you know, the amount of spirituality that is common talk today, uh, the evolution with technology, the human brain and the human intellect and emotional landscape and emotional intelligence at the forefront. So much is happening that has pushed us all to a tremendous amount of growth, unmatched, unmatched to other generations. And this growth then fell in the lap of your parents, even my parents. Right. And and this is what we're learning and growing for, from saying, do I want to be treated that way? Did I want to be treated that way? Absolutely not. So am I going to pass this along? And this recognition, this is awareness. This is mindfulness. This is consciousness. We talk about conscious parenting, mindful parenting, aware parenting. This is exactly what it is, is waking up, looking backwards. What were the things that bothered me? And making a conscious effort to first recognize them when they show up as you did with your son when he said, why aren't you talking? You know, what's wrong? And you shut down. He's pointing out to you, holding up the mirror to you to recognize your habit of shutting down Mm -hmm. when it comes to addressing strong emotions so that you can then take a step back and then come all the tools in the book, right? This is exactly what the tools are designed to do is for you to get over yourself, if you will. Yeah, (laughs) it's very, that's, I like how you say that. It is, (laughs) it's true. Getting over the hump of the patterns that we've created. And I'm so glad that you mentioned, because I think we have to really recognize if we want to break free of this victim mentality, like my parents did this, my parents did that, is that we needed the contrast in order for us to come to a point to say, I want to do differently. I want to change and evolve. That anytime you look at anything in your life, you have to experience the contracts or the darkness in order to choose to go towards the light. So we have to look at it as a blessing. Like I'm blessed that this happened. I mean, not that in the sense that like if there's heinous things that happen, obviously, you know, those are difficult. I'm I'm putting it, you know, I said it kind of like a blanket statement, which I didn't mean, but it's recognizing like these patterns have occurred in order for us to choose 
to, to, to move towards a light and to heal and to Absolutely. evolve and to grow. Talking about communication here, right? So that's the crux of what we're looking at. You know, let's just put that out there so the audience can understand that we're talking about communication and communication disconnects. Anything else, of course, requires special care, special attention. And that is not the topic of our conversation today. However, even those incidents and experiences leave very similar emotions within us. I'm glad, so, I, I'm glad you said that because it is, we're talking in the confines of communication and how we express our feelings and, mm-hmm. you know, the whole idea of this new, like emotional intelligence. And I think one of the biggest things that when I read your book and again, a big aha that I had is that with communication, and I think this is partially like what was learned is that a lot of us have learned that conflict is something to be avoided. And almost when I would experience conflict with my son, because my son is a very, you know, fiery, outspoken, um, you know, he's very opinionated, even at the age of almost five, I always felt like when there is a difference of opinion, that means that there's a communication breakdown. And what I learned from your book, that is not the case. Like conflicts or disagreements are a natural part of your experience of being in a relationship with someone. And that was huge for me. And I want a lot of moms, because I know that I have these conversations with moms, that we feel like when there is a power struggle or a disagreement, we think that that's a failure, something that's a negative on the way that we're parenting. And that was huge because that kind of lifted the weights off of me. Like, no, just because we're having a disagreement or we might get angry at each other or we're not connecting in the way that we're seeing, that's not failure or that's not a communication breakdown per se. Absolutely not. You know, conflicts happen um, because things didn't go as we expected them to go. Mm -hmm. That's when conflicts happen, right? Because within the confines of our mind, we wanted it to go a certain way. We had certain expectations. And when those expectations are not met, that's when we get conflicted. And that conflict starts within us first. So being able to look at that clearly and know that this is a red carpet invitation to growth. What do I see here? What is being mirrored to me here? And taking a step back and how I did it as a young parent was I would start writing. Mm. You know, so Navin keeps saying to me, but you don't listen to me, mama. But you don't listen to me, mama. And I'm thinking like, I'm the best listener in the world. What do you mean I don't listen to you? Like all my friends call me, the whole family calls me to share their stories. What do you mean I don't listen to you? And his, what he was trying to say was, you don't let me complete my sentences. Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned through just practicing active listening, taking a lot of courses and saying, okay, what does listening really mean? Listening is letting the person complete, letting our children complete their thoughts, letting them complete their sentences, listening to them word to word to word to word, from the beginning of a word to the end of the word. With blank space within, without judgment. So what I was really good at was resolution. Let mm-hmm. me resolve things for you. That's what people were coming to me for. I, I really actively had to work on the listening piece because this was mirrored to me by my son. And I'm thinking he's the only person in this world that says, you don't listen, you know? And so it's interesting that we learn so much from our children when these things are mirrored back to us. And conflict is the best way to learn. Even mistakes, right? Mistakes are takes that you've missed. So Mm -hmm. if you've missed them this time, you'll get it the next time. 
the big question, step back, what did I learn from this? And even uh, giving this gift to our children. What did you learn? That's okay, you made a mistake. What did you learn from this? You know, and having them write it down. Because once we put words on paper, something magical, a weight is lifted from within us. So if they're not good at putting words on paper, then maybe you can write it down for them. That's something that you can really help them express their emotions. So yes, going back to what you were saying, conflicts, disagreements, uh, these are all where we don't meet our own expectation. And Mm -hmm. even for the children, you know, they expected you to react in a certain way. They thought I can just tell my mom anything because my mom says I can, uh, she's my friend, I can talk to her about anything. And then I talked to her about age 13, my best friend trying weed, and she freaked out on me, right? So that's, that's right there. Those are moments where, you know, you need to take a step back and just be able to listen when we listen, when we let them complete their sentences. And I give this uh, tool in my book as well, is there's an innate um, desire for our body to respond, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to children, because when we hear things like this, uh, we want to jump, we want to we go to the fight or flight, right? We want to respond. We want to tell them what to do. And we want to find out more. We become more important than what, mm-hmm. what's going on in here in our own mind becomes more important than what they're trying to tell us because we want to help them immediately. But that's actually such a big disservice to our children in, in nurturing them to build their grit, their resilience, their self-reliance, their in dependence what is we all want our kids to be independent right dependent upon themselves but we're constantly telling them what to do and how to do right so this self-reliance this grit this independence is built if we take a step back if we offer that space of presence of awareness complete full-on presence in just listening to what they're saying and as our mind drifts to bring ourselves back and a great way of doing that until you get in the habit of being completely silent when your child is telling you something, is saying, uh-huh, mm-hmm, okay. Because that then allows your body to exit mm-hmm. that frequency of movement that's mm-hmm. rising within us, of mm-hmm. wanting to say something, because we're in a habit of saying something. So when we use these replacement words like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, okay, really, that takes things to a whole different level. And I'll share an example with you. Uh, My son was about maybe 16 years old. He had just started driving. And uh, I was on uh, Oprah Winfrey's very first webinar. It was a worldwide uh, webinar with Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle, yeah. Yeah, it was on his new book, The New New Earth at the time. Um, And there was a million of us logged on online. It was the most fascinating thing. And uh, we went chapter by chapter. I think there were eight chapters. It was an eight week uh, course that we took and it was discussions. And in that they talked about uh, mindful listening or active listening or just listening in general. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, my son's been telling me this since he was very little, you don't listen. And I've been practicing really listening with more presence. However, as life has it, we fall out of habits. Mm -hmm. And as the children get older, they also become a little bit more assertive in expressing their views. And you do get in a habit of listening to them more externally, but internally, this is still going. Right. So I thought to myself, all right, I've got to, you know, tweak this again, make sure that I am still really listening. 
And lo and behold, when we put it out there that we're want, we really want to work on this and see how I'm doing with something, it's going to show up. So mm -hmm. my son was 16 and he walks in through the door and um, he throws his backpack and he's just really upset. You know, you're not going to believe this, but the coach is actually going to start X, uh, you know, quarterback. It, my son was the quarterback of his team. And this is a new child coming in who was who was also going to be in that backup quarterback position. He's going to start him in the in the game. This is such a big game. I can't believe this. How could he even do this? I'm the one who started the team and I'm the one who's the captain of the team. And I was like, mm -hmm, uh huh. This was it. This was my moment. I was going to do this. Yes. And this is how all I said was, uh-huh, mm -hmm, really. And this is how the story went. I can't believe this. I'm so mad. You know, all my teammates are upset. And we have this huge game on Saturday. And this is my time to shine. This newcomer is just going to come in and, mm -hmm, uh-huh, okay. Then he walks away and turns back around and says, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I can't be captain like this. I need to be the captain of the team. If I walk out on the field like this, everybody's going to behave like this. I was like, aha, <laughs> yaha, that's it. And it was amazing because I didn't say a word. Uh. And he walked all the way back, gave me a big hug and kiss and said, you always help me figure things out. I didn't do a thing. Oh I didn't do a thing. All I did was give him space to go from being angry to reflection to resolution. I just completely backed out of that space and allowed him to go through the steps on his own with the, uh-huh, mm -hmm, okay, really. And I tell you, it was hard at first because my mind was going. I wanted to say, I can't believe this. Mm. How could your coach do this? You have worked so hard. The normal mom reactions. Yes. But there is so much um, strength in clearing the space for our children. So oh. circling back to what you said, yes, that commune, that communication, that coming together, sharing that space with them starts now in the moment. This is not something you're going to build in the, in the teen and tween years. This is something that has to start right now. As old as your child is, whether they're 2, 4, 1, 10, 12, 15, 18, it doesn't matter. Just being able to offer that space to them truly from your complete presence. That is what mindful parenting is all about. And communication is all about. Oh, yes. That's so, so when you share that, um, that's amazing because that's an epitome of like, cause he, cause Naveen was 16. Like when you, when I think of like Ayan being 16, I'm like, oh my gosh, what an amazing experience that would be like if, cause he's going to come in upset, huff to puff about something that was so amazing. And you know, one thing that I've kind of been trying to train myself because like you said, our instinct is to jump in and to offer solutions or to fix a problem or to, to plant, especially when they're little, kind of plant the seeds of how you want them to think. So at now, like, I mean, at four, the problems are, you know, this person wasn't playing with me or this person said he's not my friend. And I always like before he like really gets into it, it's like, Ayan, are you sharing this because you want mommy to listen or do you want mommy to help you find a solution? And he will tell me, he's like, no, mommy, I just want you to listen. And then I'll just listen like I won't interject and then there'll be times I'll be like no mommy I want you to help me find a solution and then we'll be like put on our solution seeker hats every day Tejal those moment, moments happen we just don't recognize them yes but if we just tap into the space of the quiet of letting them especially when they've had they have angst built up 
those moments show up every day. So in the future, when your son comes to you and talks about, you know, a, a situation where somebody doesn't want to talk to him at school, just, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just try that all the way. Yeah. I guarantee you, they're already dialed in to you giving them space because let's think about what he was trying to express. He was trying to express emotions, right? Right. Emotion, energy in motion. Mm. Emotions have a frequency that park ourselves within our physical body. And these frequencies, they can be measured as we know, lie detector tests, Mm. pulse, heartbeat. These are all frequencies, right? Because our organs emit frequencies, our physical body emits frequencies, and the highest amount of frequency is emitted from emotion. Think of the heat that's created from emotion, sweaty palms, red Mm. cheeks, armpits, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we have all these different reactions. So it's an actual frequency that's going through your body. The emotion gives a surge of a frequency within your body. So if we just move back and allow space for that frequency that's going through their systems to find its exit, Mm -hmm. then that chemical reaction within 90 seconds, and Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor talks about this in her book called The Stroke of Insight, My Stroke of Insight. She talks about this where she calls it the 90-second emotion rule. And it's actually been measured in adults, not in children. Children might be a little bit longer, where that surge of that chemical reaction for it to start and then exit through our body takes 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. So if we can buy ourselves that 90 seconds of habit, the problem is not the children, is that we are not habituated to being quiet for 90 seconds and letting them go through the experience, go through the emotion fully so that actually exits their body. 90% of the time we're capping it. We're, you know, shoving it back in because we're offering solutions and we're, mm-hmm. our intention is always good. You know, as parents, we all have the best of intentions. It's not what we intend to do. And this is one of the biggest things in my book is, you know, parents have the best of intentions. We all have the same intentions for our children. How we can actually carry that intention into our behavior, into our connection, into our relationship with the children. That's the key there. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And you, you know, one of the things like one of big, another big takeaway from your book is actually the words of your dad. And when we talk about conflict, he had a remarkable way of like when, how you put it, like he would come and be very, his, his response, he was a response his response to like when there was going to be a conflict was just so amazing. I actually wrote it out and I have it on my uh, refrigerator so my husband and I can look at it, but I'm going to actually say it word for word. And then I want, I want you to talk about it, but it was really beautiful. He said, you know, your dad would say, I'm so sorry if I'm not understanding you or you're not understanding me, but there's no reason in this world that should prevent us from talking out, talking it out respectfully. I'm here for you. You go first and I'll listen. How amazing. That is like, I I was like, that's what I want to embody. That's so amazing that you had a role model like that who was able to hold that presence for you. And did you find that you were able to, because your dad kind of modeled that, that in moments like that kind of lived within you and you were able to hold that space for your children? Yes, absolutely. I was programmed. This is what I was programmed with, Right. And, um, and I think that is truly the foundation of where all of this work comes from, because 
in my home, it was, you know, always, it was a practice. This is what happened. Of course, there were times and things and issues, as I mentioned in the book as well, that were not up for discussion with my mom, especially. And, you know, boys was like a big thing. It was just yeah. not up for discussion, right? You couldn't talk about a boy or a boyfriend or liking someone or I have a crush on someone that that conversation was good girls don't do that yes. right <laughs> that's you know, good, so good we, girls <laughs> don't do that <laughs> you come from a good family we don't do that you but that's that. again the cultural mindset that's how they were raised uh, etc so I think that's a whole other topic of conversation but truly if we can if we can create that environment for our children at all times then that's what being approachable is all about, is giving our children the sense of comfort of them being able to come to you at any time, at any place, for anything. And statements like that are one great way to do it. Then you have to embody it, you have to embrace it, and you have to live it and breathe it. And then it'll become second nature to them. Uh, that's one part of it. And another part of it is understanding the concept of time and moms often will ask me and dads will pose this question well when I pick them up from school we talk in the car we have a great time connecting well talking in the car after a long day of school is just a spillover of what happened at school it has nothing to do with the kind of space that we can actually share together as human beings mm -hmm. so I suggest in order to make yourself approachable and to build that trust with children, doing take five, you know, take five, meaning five minutes a day, every single day to do nothing, no thing. If we don't do this, I feel this is the biggest service that we can actually serve our children well with is teaching them what doing nothing means and mm -hmm. feels like. Mm -hmm. And when we take that five minutes to do nothing, keep your phones away. All technology goes away if you live in, a, in an apartment or a condominium where you can actually face nature, open a window, and, and have that influx of nature touching this space, then it will make it even more calmer. But if you have a backyard or a front porch, whatever, however you can do this, taking that time to sit with your child to do nothing, that's what builds that space of trust. That is the the air that you will nurture for communing for coming together for communication is letting them know that i know how to share space with you you can come to me for anything and building that habit and separately with each child and if you have a partner or a spouse you can easily switch off one can take one child one day the other can take the other whatever you however you can do this but taking this five minutes out the stories that come out of this, when parents come back to me with, how am I supposed to do this? The first question when I teach this in the class is, well, I mean, my child is so hyper or my child will never sit. Am I not supposed to talk? Are we not supposed to like do anything? What if he starts running around? What if she wants to talk? Mm -hmm. We don't know how to do no thing. Yeah. And we get confused by it. But yes, all of the above. Just share space and see what comes up. It's an exploration process. And just anchor yourself, be when your child is talking, something will come up. Mm -hmm. And if I tell you the conversations that parents come back with about children at nine having 
having witnessed and experienced something at school that they would have never then talked to their parents about. Children at this 11-year-old who just broke down within the first three minutes of silence with her mom the first time and said, can I ask you something and you won't be mad at me? And she said, not at all. And she talked to her about how scared she was of puberty because she had seen one of her friends get her period and she knew nothing about it. Mm-hmm. And the mom was completely taken aback because she had this realization that because her mother never spoke to her about the changes that teenage girls go through, she had never spoken to her child. And she said that she broke down first before she could say a word. That is communication. That is communing. That is coming together. So creating that space every single day gives children that sense of trust, that sense of when we tell children, I got you, I got your back, I'm here for you. This this is it in practice, in application. Oh, I love, you know, I've actually, one thing that I've been doing with Ayan, I've always been doing this since he's been three, where we do like special mommy and me time, my mommy, IU time where it's like 10 minutes, but we, it would just like a child led play. So I infuse this nothingness because it always be something that I would be in, entering into his world. Like he'd want to play with cars. All right. For 10 minutes, we're going to do whatever you want to do. So I introduced this nothingness. So I said, you know, for our mommy, IU time today, we're just going to like lay next to each other and he has a tent and we're going to just lay next to each other. And Roma, I kid you not. First off, I thought he was not going to buy it because he like, you know, like we said, he wants to be doing something for mommy IU time or playing something. We just laid there. We had a blanket. We were just, and for, for a few minutes, he was just like, use his imagination came out. He's like, well, look, mommy, look at those beautiful stars out there. And just the conversation led to, cause he's really, really, he's like, you know, mommy, um, cause he talked about the stars. He's like, and we say like, you know, when your child, when someone passes away, cause someone he knew passed away, we say that they become a star. So the thing that he said was that mommy, you know, when you become a star one day, I'm going to miss you so much. And then he started crying and I was like, Oh my gosh, like where, like, you know, I don't know at four and a half where that came from. Like, mommy, look at the beautiful stars. We're looking at this in the, in the sky. And then the next one, he's like, when you become a star, I'm going to be so sad. And it's just, but it was a beautiful experience because we're very open and we talk to him. And this is uh, it. Imagine missing out on this moment. That's this it. is it. This is <laughs> it. That's why I had to share it with you because it was just like, oh. that would not have come up with a normal mommy IU time when we'd be doing puzzles, which is great. Like it's great time that we have together, but the next day he's like, mommy, I'd love to do like our special relaxation mommy IU time. That's what, what I called it. I just wanted to share that of like when you're spending quality time with them versus that spending like that time of just being with each other. There is a vast difference there. Absolutely. There's no doing. There's just your being, you're in the moment because this is what's going to get them through life. Knowing how to do nothing, knowing how to scale back. Yes, we can set them up for quote unquote success that we talk about, worldly, outwardly success. But who is going to teach our children about their inner world? Who is going to talk about their inner world with them? That is our responsibility. This is not going to happen at school. This is this has to happen in the home with the parents. And we have to create that space for it. When you talk about using constructive language, when you're helping your children manage their emotions, you share something in the book 
how to um, help them do that. Can you share a little bit more about that? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, right, we talked about emotions and energy in motion, right? So those frequencies that park ourselves in our children, they don't know what to do with them. So our job as parents becomes then to be emotionally intelligent and to introduce this emotional intelligence to them. And if your children are young, you can, of course, build their emotional vocabulary. Obviously, they, if they don't know yet what they're feeling, you can say things like, I see that you're feeling angry. I see that you're feeling mad or sad or whatever it might be. So let me take a step back now and give you a three-step process that I call dealing with the feeling. It's an emotional intelligence step. It's tied into mindfulness, and I'll explain how that's so afterwards. So the three steps to dealing with the feeling are spot it, say it, okay it. So mm -hmm. spot the feeling in your mind. So that might be anger, that might be frustration, that might be sadness, whatever it might be. Say it out loud. I see that you're feeling frustrated. I see that you're feeling angry. And then okay it. Let them know it's okay to feel angry if my brother pulled my iPad or broke my car, whatever the situation might be, um, I would feel the same way too. Two parts to this. The first benefit when you allow children to express their emotions as such, even though you're planting that emotional vocabulary, it equips them for the future to build that vocabulary, to recognize then what sadness feels like, what frustration feels like, so that they're then able to put it in words instead of express it in behavior. So that's the big benefit here. And then alongside the second benefit is obviously when you are explaining to children um, about words and when you're talking about emotions and you add the word feel before it, then you are giving them a true understanding of what emotions are. Mm -hmm. There's a difference in when we say I am angry versus I feel angry. When you say, I am angry, you'll notice your body language. You're going to sit in it longer. You're going to say it more fiercely. I am so angry. But if you say, I feel so angry, your tone of voice will change yeah. because you recognize that the emotion is a feeling that's going to pass through you. It's a wave. It's a feeling that's going to pass through you. And Dr. Daniel Siegel advocates this work. He calls it Mindsight. Um, he's at uh, UCLA, the Mindsight Institute, and he advocates this in his book, Mindsight, as well, that when we give children a sense of identification of self with the emotion, then it takes them longer to recover. Mm -hmm. So if we keep saying, I see that you're feeling angry, I see that you're feeling frustrated, then just adding that word feel before the emotion lets them know that this is an emotion that's going to pass through you. It is not who you are. It's just what you're feeling right now oh, and I helps them connect that. better with themselves. Yes. Yeah. yes, because with one of the things that we share with children is like your feelings visit you. So it's like exactly what you're saying is that when you're feeling something, it's a mood. It's going to it's going to come and go. It's so amazing, right? Just one word or one. It completely changed Absolutely. the tone of the entire sentence. That was a wonderful, um, wonderful tip. And that's the point is to shift the energy attached to the situation, right? We talk about attachment to a situation, detachment to a situation, and you do such great mindfulness work. This is second nature to you in, in your classes and what you teach as well. 
and being able to, this is what meditation is about, right? Mm -hmm. Is being able to detach to the outcome, allowing the situation, accepting it as is. And in baby steps, this is what we teach our children as they're going through them live in the moment is just using these simple words so that they can start to not identify themselves with the emotion so that they can they know that who they are is so much bigger so much more vast than this little tiny emotion this is yeah. just a small moment in time where it's going to come and go through you and yet when you validate it you don't minimize it right mm -hmm. because to the child who is led by emotions their brain hasn't developed enough to be able to tap into you know this is what i'm supposed to do with an emotion you want them to go through it and when you validate it and tell them it's okay then that frequency goes through their system faster you do a lot of work working with children you know you live in santa clarita california and recently at the time of taping this there was a school shooting that happened at saugus high school and you are very involved in the education, education system in that area. You're involved with the children. And you know when we talk about communication and conflict and in the home, you know we as a generation, I think one of our biggest fears is what we see, these school shootings or a, a, you know extensive cyberbullying. And um, you know these are the 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 big situations that we feel completely helpless with. And I think you have a great perspective of the work that you do. How can this kind of tie in together, right? Working on communication, building these skills, and what's happening at a larger scale at schools with children. Can you share a little bit of your, your experience and your insight about this? Sure, sure. The disconnection happens when we disconnect. Disconnection with the outside world happens when we disconnect with who we are, when we do not understand who mm -hmm. we are. And this is the foundation of the book where I teach the facets of communication. Everybody knows what communication is conceptually, but what is it internally? You know, the three facets of communication, your thoughts, your feelings, your expressions. Where does your mindfulness, your awareness, how does that fit into this? I feel this type of education is so important so that you can then take the right steps and recognize where you are and pull yourself out of it when you're in the dumps, in the clouds, where when life is weighing you down. This education is not given to our children at any level. And this is why I feel it's so important to educate the parents on this so that they can then start to teach their children about this. That being said, if we gave our children this rudimentary, this basic education of what the inside world looks like, this complicated inside world looks like, then they will be able to better manage themselves. When they're able to better manage themselves, then situations like this are less likely to happen. Say, for example, we take this particular situation with the Saugus shootings, because I was, you know, involved, I live in the community and am involved in the education community. If you think about the things that happen in this child's home, could they be a contributing factor? Absolutely. What was that moment that, you know, made him do this? But we can mm -hmm. speculate all day long. The bottom line is this built up over time. And this built up over time, this disconnection with himself, having, having him feel, having Nathaniel feel that life was a burden to him. You know, so much angst must have built up inside of him for it to exit in the way it did to hurt so many other lives, his own peers. 
So if we can learn about what our inside world is like, just, just the basics, just the foundation of it, then that then would help us manage ourselves and help us manage our children and give them insight on what their inside world is like. And so when they feel like they can't get out of their thoughts and feelings and they're bombarded with this feeling of stress and anxiety and overwhelm, they know that you have a way of helping them out so they can come to you as parents or if we have these sort of wellness resources at schools with, uh, you know, not that the therapists do an amazing job and their job is sort of different than the day-to-day, -day, right? Because children end up in the therapist's office when there are problems, when there are major issues. But this, this well-being, this inner well-being has to be maintained on a day-to-day -day basis. And if we understand our inner landscape, then we're able to handle our outer world much better. And this is what I'm passionate about. Thank you so much, Roma, for this beautiful, heartfelt conversation. It was so inspiring to me. And I, I mean, I could talk to you for hours. I really want to say this back to you as well, because the work that you're doing is not the work that I can do. You're really good at what you do, putting it out there to moms with the podcast. I mean, I would probably need to hire a team of people to help me do what you're doing by yourself. So each one of us is placed in a way where we do the work. And this is, it's the same work. Mm -hmm. It's all the same work. It's the service to our children, to humanity, to raise consciousness, to raise awareness, to raise mindfulness of the infinite potential of this human body and how we can use it to connect instead of disconnect. And that starts mm -hmm. very much in our homes with our children. And, uh, you know, to all those stay-at-home moms who have this stigma of, you know, I don't do anything, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You are doing the most important job that you will ever do, that anyone will ever do. Raising a human being, that is a responsibility. So do it well. Listen to Pedro. She's amazing. I love all the resources you bring. And you do what you do, you do so well. So this is great that we can actually share where your platform becomes uh, a way for me to spread the message louder and wider. So thank you for all the great work that you're doing. Oh, absolutely. I really, truly feel like we were called to each other and I've learned so much from you and I'm so inspired for our continual growth in our friendship. And I want you to quickly share with the listeners, where can they find you? What would be the best place? I know you're on Instagram. So if you just quickly give your tags out and where they can connect. Of with course. Uh, so on Instagram, you can find me on at tools of growth. I also have a personal handle, which is at Roma Ket, K-H-E-T, uh, my last name shortened. And then of course, on Facebook at tools of growth on Twitter at tools of growth. So you'll find me everywhere. Website is toolsofgrowth.com. And I'll be launching online classes here within the next 60 days for teacher training first and then parenting. So um, I'll be reaching out to you, Tejal, as we move along to share that as well. Yes, of course. That's so exciting. And guys, I really can't highly recommend enough The Perfect Parent, which you can buy anywhere you buy books. Um, it's definitely a must read for us modern moms. Um, thank you so much for this beautiful gift of connecting with each other. Thank you so much, Tejo. Thank you. If you love this episode, I'd be so grateful if you subscribe on iTunes, share it with your mama besties, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. 
all you gotta do to share is screenshot it, share it on your Instagram story, use the hashtag Time and Talks Podcast, and tag me at Thajal V Patel. Of course, you can just text your mama besties the pod too, which is also totally cool. And if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts as my special thank you, I'd like to give to you my seven day stress detox course absolutely free. This is a $79 value course I'm giving to you complimentary as my thank you for leaving a review. If you're a mom who wants tools to use in the heat of the moment that helps you decrease stress, manage your triggers, stop your own meltdowns, or you just want to infuse a simple moment of peace throughout your busy day to get centered, well, you want to get your hands on these tools. These tools are rooted in ancient Ayurvedic and yogic wisdom, and these kundalini meditations that I teach only take three minutes or less to feel better. These are my daily go-to tools that keep my stress at bay and help me feel calm and centered, and I'd love to make them available to you. All you gotta do is email me a screenshot of your review over to Thajal at thajalvpatel.com. That is T-E-J-A-L at T-E-J-A-L-V-P-A-T-E-L.com. I'll send you the course details right away so you can get started. And stay tuned, my book, Meditation for Kids, 40 Activities to Stay Present, Improve Concentration, and Manage Difficult Emotions is going to be released in spring 2020. This is going to be your favorite guide to make meditation fun, simple, and a part of your family's daily routine. Till next time. Bye guys.